So yeah, so we're celebrating Epiphany today. And a lot of times, you know, we think about Christmas as a day, or, or some of us, um, our, our secular world thinks about Christmas as the season leading up to Christmas Day. That's actually Advent. It's that time of preparation, which leads us to Christmas Day. And then Christmas is not just a day. It's also, there, there's 12 days of Christmas. You guys have heard the song, right? There's just less, less birds involved, usually. And the 12 days of Christmas and celebrating the birth of Christ lead us to Epiphany, which typically is January 6th, but in the church we celebrate that the Sunday before, uh, since that does not always fall on a Sunday. And Epiphany is a celebrating of the wise men coming to see Jesus, which signifies Jesus the light shown to the whole world. Jesus is made known not just to the Jews, but also to the Gentiles. Now, this is a part of the liturgical calendar. We've done this before, right? You, you, you might remember, or maybe you kind of remember, and I just cleared up some things for you, hopefully. But, you know, there's some great things about the liturgical calendar because as we go through the year, we're able to remember the high points of the story of God. And that is such a cool and neat thing. You know, there's a little bit of a risk with this also, though. The risk is that moving through the same stories each year, we could easily become complacent and just kind of mindlessly drift from one part of the story to the next, to the next, to the next, without actually taking in very much. And, you know, sometimes around the holidays, I feel especially prone to this. In the month of December, there's a lot of things going on, and most of us are trying to figure out how do we, how do we host our family or get our family to someone else house, else's house so they can host us? How do we make all the right food and give all the right gifts? And then, um, of course, you know, passing around illness in the midst of all this. I don't know about you guys. We, we like, passed around a stomach bug over Christmas break, and it was, you know, memorable. <laughs> but we often get to this time of the year and we're just ready to like, okay, let's, let's be done with that year. Let's start the next one and then move on. But I'm convinced that we're not supposed to just move on from Christmas. I have a professor in seminary um, who I really enjoyed taking classes from. He had a lot of memorable things he would say. One of his quotes, to the best of my memory, he said, We remember and forget, remember and forget, remember and forget. But most of all, we forget. And isn't that the truth? It's easy for us to forget even the most important things. The reason we need to remember the Christmas story and the Epiphany story, it's not just so that we can recount the facts and say, Here, here's what it is, oh, I know what that's supposed to be. I know what Epiphany is all about. But it's because in the story of God, we're invited to be a part of the story. So we don't just want to take in the story. God actually asks us to have a response to the story. And so as we celebrate Epiphany today, we're going to read through the typical Epiphany reading. Matthew chapter 2, the story of the wise men, and they follow the star, they get to Jesus. Um, but the question we're going to ask is, how do we respond to the birth of Christ? with our lives? How do we make sure we don't just drift from Christmas time into New Year and ordinary life, if that's even a thing? How do we make sure we don't complacently drift past the birth of Christ? Would you pray with me before we get into the scripture today? Lord, we love you and we need you. Come illuminate our minds right now. 
and come and be at work in our hearts, Holy Spirit, that as we hear once again about the good news of your Son coming to be our Savior, that we would respond to you, that that would not just be something we know in our heads, but that it would change our lives. Um, Show us particularly, for, for each of us, how you're inviting us to respond And I pray that you would uh, open us up to the way your spirit wants to lead us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to pick it up in Matthew 2. Uh, This is the story of the wise men. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. All right, so the beginning of this story, um, this is after Jesus has already been born, and we basically are going to see in this passage a number of different responses that people have to the birth of Christ. We're going to see some good responses. We're also going to see some not-so-good examples of what it looks like to have a response to the birth of Christ. Um, And You know, the thing about this passage as it starts that's probably most striking to our modern audience is that there is a, there's this supernatural thing that's going on where a star is showing people that Jesus was born and they're following this star to find Jesus. And that is so far removed from how we do things in our world today that I think we come to this story, we mostly focus on the star. Oh my gosh, the star. What do we do with the star? Was it real? And a lot of time and scholarship has actually been poured into trying to see what could that have been, and was it Jupiter and Saturn aligning on the winter solstice? And, um, and that's, that's good. I mean, that's, that's useful. Um, I think to the original audience, and of course in Jesus' time, the star was not the unique part of this story. That was actually kind of expected that astrologers, or magi is the word that's used for the wise men, Um, magi, astrologers, who could look at the heavens and try to interpret the stars in a way that made sense to life. That was kind of normal in those days. There were many, many cultures that did that in a pre-modern time. Uh, And so what it seems like is that these astrologers from Persia in the east were looking at the heavens, and God showed them that something big was happening, so that, that is pretty cool that God went out of his way to show them in their own language, in their own way. Um, but the unique thing about this story to the original audience of Matthew would have been that the people who were coming to worship Jesus were not good, godly people. They were pagans. They were people who didn't even worship the God of Israel. The wise men were not... They, they were not godly people. They actually, in parts of the Old Testament, some of those same um, people in the book of Daniel are kind of the enemies. They, they make life hard for Daniel. They're, they're seen as the enemies of God. And so the original audience that's reading this account uh, of the wise men, they're, they're reading this and they're thinking, wait a second, something is backwards here. Why are God's enemies coming to worship him? That doesn't make sense. And so, so that's, that's the real striking thing um, to, to, to the original audience. If we keep going, we can see that other people had a different response to Jesus. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. 
And so uh, the wise men have come to Jerusalem because they know, uh, based on their looking at the signs in the heaven, uh, their interpretation is that something big is happening and they need to go to Jerusalem because it's the king of the Jewish people that has been born. So they get to Jerusalem and guess who is king of the Jewish people at that time? King Herod. This is Herod the Great. Um, he was quite the terror, not a great king, but he was able to be king because he, he was able to hold on to enough political power uh, with the Romans, and the Roman Empire basically allowed him to be a king in that area to keep the peace. Um, he was an underling king. Now, Herod likes his power, so news about another king being born that actually has his title and is the king of the area that he is currently king over, that's a threat to him. And that's, that's why Herod is troubled. Some, some of the versions of the Bible translate that as frightened. He's frightened because he, he's worried that maybe his reign is coming to an end. He does not want to lose that. It says that all Jerusalem was troubled with him. And what I think that means, um, the people of Jerusalem certainly would not have wanted to see two kings go to war in their turf. That would have been bad news for everyone that lived there, right? But I think it also shows us something about, you know, Jerusalem was where the religious leaders were. It's where the temple was, God's presence. And you would expect to find good and godly people who were eagerly awaiting the Messiah, but they hear about this, and in their minds, it's a disruption. It seems like the people in Jerusalem are more okay with the status quo than they are with receiving God's coming anointed one. So Herod responds. He assembles all the chief priests and the scribes of the people. Remember, he's in Jerusalem, so the chief priests and the scribes, they got all the best right there. He inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. Now, this is interesting for two reasons. And first of all, we could maybe, you know, we could maybe give Herod like a little bit of a break and say, okay, well, if Herod just thought there was another king coming to take his power, we could kind of understand why he would be scared. But Herod is supposed to be the king of the Jewish people. He's supposed to be the leader, the shepherd of the people. You would expect the leader of God's people would, would need to be a faithful person who wanted to follow God himself. Herod um, doesn't just think that Jesus is another king. He, he infers that this is the Christ. So Herod knows this is God's Messiah, the anointed one who's going to come and bring God's kingdom on earth. And Herod didn't want to have any part of that because that threatens him being king. So he kind of shows his cards, or Matthew shows Herod's cards right there, that Herod is not at all interested in following Jesus. He really just wants to hold on to his power at all costs. But the other thing that's interesting is the, the leader of God's people, you'd think that um, they were so focused on their scriptures and knowing their scriptures, and Herod doesn't even know their scriptures. He has to ask someone else, hey, hey, you guys over there, where did the Bible say uh, that Christ would be born? And, and so the scribes and Pharisees have to answer that for him. But Herod's not looking so good in this story so far. The scribes and the, and the chief priests answer. They told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. And at this point, they quote Micah chapter 5, verse 2, which says, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. 
And so they know that the scriptures in the Old Testament, in Micah 5.2, it says that, that one day a ruler or a king is going to come, and he's going to come from Bethlehem. Now, Bethlehem is the, the, the place where David, King David from the Old Testament, where all of his lineage came from. So there's a number of other prophets uh, in Isaiah and, and throughout the Old Testament that hint at God, he's going to do a new thing. He's going to make a descendant from the line of David become king again, and that's going to be the thing that makes everything right, that reestablishes God's good and perfect kingdom on earth. And so uh, that, that is happening in Jesus. Um, but what, what's really interesting about this the leaders in Jerusalem know what the Bible says about where the Messiah is going to be born. And when they hear that there is someone who's been born that is called King of the Jews, they're frightened, and they don't necessarily want that. They know what the Bible says about where Jesus is born, but they don't have any interest in going there themselves. That's kind of interesting to me. It seems like they are complacent. Like maybe they're not up to the task. Like maybe that might rock their boat a little too much. I don't know. Does anyone else ever get like that? I know I do to some extent. Sometimes I don't want my boat rocked. Um, the, the, their leaders in Jerusalem did not want their boat rocked. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. Now he's doing this secretly because he's doing something bad. That's what that means. Um, what he's doing bad is um, he, he's not actually trying to, to worship Jesus. He's going to end up trying to kill Jesus. But, but what, he, what he says to the wise men is he sent them to Bethlehem, and he said, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. So he, he's, Herod is a good politician, right? He knows how to put on the face. He knows how to maintain power. He knows to look like he's doing the right thing so that the people that have the power to keep him there will keep him there. But really, he's, he actually is interested in killing Jesus more than he is in worshiping Jesus. And so he tells the wise men uh, where they need to go. You know, interesting thing about this part of the story, the wise men come to Jerusalem because of supernatural signs they see in the heavens, but they can't get all the way to Bethlehem without getting to Scripture. I think it's interesting that God sometimes does that to us. He shows us things out in the world, and he calls us, or we might hear the Spirit speaking to us. Oftentimes, to get clarity on the specifics, we have to go to Scripture to hear from God through that special revelation. I think that's interesting. That's the Magi's journey also. And then after listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And so I love uh, looking at how the wise men approached Bethlehem and how they approached Jesus. There's some things here that are just truly striking. You know, they have an emotional response when the star stops over the house that Jesus is at. It says they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. They have an emotional response to worship when they come close to Jesus. That's very different 
than the, the response that Herod and all of Jerusalem had, right? They, they felt something too. They were troubled. You see the difference? One of them is, is worship. One of them is, is more selfish. And then when they, when they get into the house, they fall down and worship, either, either on their knees or maybe prostrate, but showing that they are giving themselves to this king. And then they give him gifts that are fit for a king. Very expensive gifts that show that, that all of their things are also subject to this king. And so we see such a good example of responding to Jesus there. And then the, the very last part of the story, and being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. And so um, the wise men have a dream, and they don't end up going back to tell Herod where Jesus is. And uh, Herod later will try to kill all, all the infants under two in, in Bethlehem because he doesn't hear back from the wise men. Um, I don't want to spoil it. Jesus escapes that, that time, in case you didn't get to that part in the story yet. Um, but, you know, we see in this story really interesting uh, differences in how people respond to Jesus being born. This is a story of ironic contrast. It's ironic because the people that you expect to be the faithful ones are incredibly unfaithful. And the people that you expect to be the evil terrorizers that uh, are the outsiders that, that hate God's people and, and don't have any business uh, following God, they are the ones that model a faithful response. I think this story is really designed to ask the question, how are we going to respond to the birth of Christ? Are, are we going to respond like, well, I'll, I'll get to Herod in Jerusalem, or are we going to respond like the Magi? And for those of us that are in the church, like if you come here regularly and you're a, a church person, um, you're, you might be part of the cream of the crop. You're here on January 2nd, right? But the cream of the crop in this story is Jerusalem. They don't respond very well. This is a scary story for those of us that are the good church people. Because we can easily fall into that complacency too, right? I want to review just how they respond. So we have Herod here. He, he does not respond well to the birth of Christ. Herod, his main focus is to maintain his political power at all costs. Herod's not interested in seeking Jesus, except to kill him. Now, there's not a lot that I think many of us will relate to with Herod. If, you, if you're feeling like you're strongly relating to Herod at this point, come talk to me. It'll be okay. We'll figure out something. I do think there, there is a caution in looking at how Herod responds, and it is a kind of a thing in our culture right now to let politics become a replacement religion. And what I see happening sometimes is it's easy for a person to be more rooted in their political identity than in their following Jesus. When that happens, we aren't very interested in following Jesus unless he affirms what we already think politically. And that can be a really dangerous place to be. I'm saying that so we can all self-reflect. I'm not picking on one side or another side. or If anything, I'm picking on myself because I, I still have self-reflection to do. But we all have to be careful about what, what are the, the things that we are uh, holding as priority. And, and that makes us 
um, unwilling to follow Jesus when he says something that rubs up against that. You know what I mean? We've got to be careful about that. So we can learn from Herod, um, even though no one here, no one here is as bad as Herod. Then there's Jerusalem, right? The good church people are in Jerusalem, but they're complacent. They're sleepy. They partied too hard for Christmas and New Year's, and they're just ready to get on with their lives. That was, that's, not, that's not you guys. That's everyone that stayed home, right? I'm just joking. I think what we can learn from the people in Jerusalem is that it is possible to be complacent. It's possible to float through the different seasons and the, the parts of the Christian story and kind of let it go in one ear and out the other. If we're not careful, we can be people that know what the scriptures say, but it doesn't leave an impact on our lives. Just like those in Jerusalem, they knew how to tell the wise men where to go. Oh yeah, the Bible says the Christ is going to be there. They had no interest in actually going there. So we gotta, we got to be careful. That is not a good response to the birth of Christ. What is a good response, a fitting response, is the wise men. The wise men have a response to the birth of Christ. There's two things that they do that I want to encourage us in. And then there's one thing we learned from this whole story that I want to just invite you to think about. So, so as respond to the birth of Christ, and it, this could be something that you think about for yourself in terms of like New Year's resolutions. I know some of us really enjoy like goal setting and kind of uh, looking at my life once a year and figuring out where do I want to go this next year. Maybe responding to the birth of Christ is something that can be a part of that. Some ways that, that we could respond to the birth of Christ. Looking at the story of the wise men, uh, one way we could respond is by seeking Christ. Seeking to grow close to Christ, to be in relationship with the God that has saved us. You know, one of the beauties of the incarnation is that Jesus came to us. He came as a human. He came to live and experience the kind of broken, messed up world that we all experience. And so God is relatable to us. We can know him and we can grow close in relationship with God. So maybe a part of how you need to respond to the birth of Christ is by taking some extra time this year and carving out that space to just spend being with God. Right? Maybe that's reading scripture first thing in the morning instead of turning to the news and social media. And maybe, that's, maybe you're good at reading scripture, but prayer has been elusive for you for a long time. And so just spending some time trying different, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to write down my prayers or I'm going to set a timer and just only sit with God for three minutes. Maybe it's something like that. But something, I think, we could respond to the birth of Christ by, by seeking Christ and trying to grow in our relationship with him. Another way uh, that we could respond to the birth of Christ by learning from the wise men is by worshiping Christ as king. So when we worship Christ as king, it involves making Jesus king of our whole lives. This is not easy, but it's so worth it. When Jesus is king of our lives, he's also king of our time and our finances, our possessions. He's king of our priorities, our goals, our relationships. It means turning that over and saying, yes, Jesus, I'm going to let you be king of even that part of my life. And whatever you thought of when, you, when I said even that part, and you're thinking, eh, I don't know about that, that's probably where you need to start. We all, we all have this, right? I have, I have mine too. The, the third way that this story uh, tells us to respond to the birth of Christ 
is the story is really about sharing the light of Christ beyond the current version of God's people. That, that's the heart of epiphany, right? It's, it's about the light of Christ for the whole world, not just the good church people. And so I think uh, something that they had to be reminded about in Jesus' day is that God did want to bless and love and save that select group of people, but he wanted to do that so he could use them to reach the whole world. I think we need a reminder about that in our day too. And it doesn't mean you need to go try to start a spiritual conversation with every person you come across. What it, what it likely means is valuing relationships. It likely means uh, having relationships with your neighbors and your friends outside of church. And for those that have been wounded by the church, maybe you can be someone to cast a different vision of what, what Christians are really like for them. So they, they don't just think that we're hypocrites, because that's, that's kind of what happens out there. That's what, that's what the, the typical thought is. So I don't know how God is calling you to respond to the birth of Christ. I, I'm offering these as suggestions and things that I see in that story that, that are convicting to me. And I wonder, as you pray about it and think about it and we move into this new year, how is God calling you to respond to the birth of Christ? To not just move past Christmas and into whatever normal life is these days, but, but to really let the birth of Christ change your life and change how you live. Would you pray with me? Lord, I give you thanks that Jesus has come, that he is the light, and that light pushes back darkness and you want us to share that light with the whole world. And so I pray that you would do that in us, Lord. Show us, each of us, for our lives, how you are inviting us to respond to you. And show us how we can take your light and share it with those who do not have it, especially those who need your hope and your light the most. So we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.